Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. So our next door neighbors as we were growing up were the Howards. So we lived at 314 Helm Street. They lived at 312 Helm Street. Makes sense, right? So great friends. Oh my gosh, incredible memories. Still, I'm sitting out here by a fire tonight and just thinking fires are great places to reflect and meditate and pray. And I just remember great times with the Howards. Uh, Chris was my age and, and my twin sister's age. So me and Pam and Chris, about the same age. Chris was just a little bit younger, maybe a year or two. Teresa was just maybe a year older than me and Pam. Mary Julia was my brother's age, uh, Michael. I had a secret crush on Mary Julia. Don't tell anyone. And then there was Joe Howard. He was older, I think, even than my brother, uh, Michael. And so... But all of us, most of the time, it was all of us except for Joe, but even all of us had great times together. Oh my gosh, we uh, we lived just a couple of blocks away from a Sears warehouse. So if you remember anything about Sears, they used to sell appliances, uh, maybe they still do, but in the back where we would go, there were always refrigerator boxes. Can anyone say fort, cardboard fort? They also made for great uh, sleds on snowy and icy days. But especially in summertime, we would make our way to the Sears, uh, back of the Sears store, and we would raid their dumpster and cardboard boxes and use them, again, forts. And we used them as, as battlements against each other and um, shields and all kinds of things, right? I also remember we would, there was an IGA, probably a little, probably another uh, two or three blocks past the Sears. And we would walk every now and then, we got permission to walk through the alleyway past the Sears onto Dixie and pick up some candy at the IGA, the local IGA. Candy cigarettes. I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but candy cigarettes and um, Neckos and um, dipsticks and wax. Come on, wax um, uh, bottles, right? Those wax bottles that we would we would love to chew on and suck all the juice out of and, and gum of all kinds, bazooka gum and all of that. So we would make our way to... IGA and together and spend our hard-earned lawn mowing and leaf raking and snow shoveling money. And we'd all go down together and have a candy fest at the local IGA. And speaking of lawn mowing and leaf raking and lemonade standing, right? We would have lemonade stands. We would have all kinds of fun all throughout the, the summer, but we would serve our community right there in our neighborhood, a relatively elderly community. 
but we were probably one of the uh, the two younger families of the bunch. There were a few other kids in different places of the neighborhood, but we were the the the, the core of the kids in that neighborhood. So we got the chores. We would do all the chores around the neighborhood. They loved us. And so when we had lemonade stands, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how a glass of weak lemonade with barely enough sugar to make it not turn your face sour inside out is worth $10 or $5. But we would get like a $5 bill from some of our neighbors now, back then, you know, 1970, 1972, 74, 75, we would, that's rich. That's a lot of cigarette, that's a lot of candy cigarettes. That's a lot of uh, uh, gum, bazooka gum right there. And so we just had a blast. We, in a good way, we ruled our neighborhood in many ways by doing, again, good deeds for the neighbors. And we had haunted houses and the haunted houses I remember they were at our house, 314 Helm Street, because we had a basement that was as scary as they came. You could enter the basement from inside, and but the, the basement's not finished. The basement was a dirt floor, all dirt downstairs in the basement, all, all dirt. And there were like three or four different rooms and again, all dirt, just it just if you can imagine. And some places had just those hanging 40-watt dingy light bulbs. It was spooky without adding the haunted to the house. You could also access it from a door. We called it the stoop. So right there at the stoop, we right there in the doorway, we would put our hose, our garden hose and rakes and shovels. But then these concrete steps, you would take the concrete steps into the basement and thus began your haunted house experience. Oh my gosh. There is one room. None of this is politically correct today. Okay. I, I get it. Right. But there is one room that, and I don't even know why this room was sectioned off the way it was, but it was, it had, it was boarded up with old boards, half boards and half tin. And so why we're playing in that room, I don't know. You know, there, you, know you remember there's things, we used to ride bikes without helmets. We used to drink from the water hose without, you know, even thinking about. And yes, we used to play in the downstairs basement and in the haunted house in a room that was dirt floor, half wood and half tin. No one got cut that I remember. But in that room was always our insane asylum, our insane asylum, where we would have two or three people in there. We would recruit the kids from the neighborhood Oh my gosh, we would have not only a blast, but we would start the week of Thanksgiving, the week of Halloween. It felt like it went all the way to Thanksgiving. We would have it for a week and our big, of course, culmination, our big climax of the haunted house was on Halloween night and we charged whatever, 50 cents a dollar and people just, they would not go through it one time. They'd go through it 20 times and we would go through it ourselves. And we were part of the actors and actresses who played the parts, you know, zombies, you know, all that crazy, wacky stuff. They had a basketball goal on their garage. We did not. We had a pool. So we we had a pool. They had a basketball goal. It was separated by just a little post fence, right? A couple of posts here, a wire fence, but, you know, big wire. It wasn't like a chicken wire fence. It was just a big wire fence. We'd crawl over. There's a 
tree right there on the fence line. I'd grab one of the branches and just simply swing my legs over the fence. And I was over on the Howards. They would do the same and they'd be over in the Johnsons. So we had the pool. I don't remember you know, the nine ninety nine uh, pool from Walmart or Kmart. Remember those K- member Kmart's? We'd have those. Uh, we'd have a pool, the sand at the bottom, and then di- and fill up uh, ice cold water from the hose, and we would you know, play in the pool, dodging horse flies. Oh my gosh, all summer long, and during the evening we'd go over to the Howards. You know, jump over the fence and we'd play basketball on the garage, uh, the, the basketball goal that was attached to the garage. Well, one year, I don't remember, I want to, I'm just going to call it 1974. Yeah, let's call it the Tomato War of 1974. The Tomato War of 1974. You've heard of it, right? You read it in history, you studied it, right? So I don't remember who started it. I don't remember who shot, who fired the first volley, who launched the first tomato. All I do know is it went on for uh, probably a week. It was during the late summer when the garden was near the end of producing the tomatoes. And I remember getting as many old, rotten, but still throwable tomatoes. And we began to launch them at each other. Oh my gosh, literally just across this fence, we would be in the pool and we'd launch. They went in, they had a big yard too and a big garden, Mr. and Mrs. Howard always had a big garden, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, my mom and dad, we always had big gardens. And so they'd go get their tomatoes and they'd go from behind the garage and they'd launch their tomatoes. Uh, and we would launch ours from, from our fort, which was the swimming pool. <laughs> so, and we'd go jump out of the swimming pool, run down in the backyard, grab tomatoes, come back, th- launch all these tomatoes uh, at, the, uh, at, at the Howards. Because again, that's what you do in the great tomato war of 1974. <laughs> we didn't talk. I guarantee you there was a time, probably a good couple of weeks, we probably didn't talk to each other because we were so, um, yeah, that tomato war took its toll. But I remember, for the point of this podcast, I remember one specific moment. They had grapevines. We did not. I love grapes. I've always loved grapes. Grapes have been, grapes are probably my favorite fruit. I love oranges love apples, pretty much love every fruit there can be, there's, there is known to mankind, but grapes, grapes are my, are my, are my, are my thing. So I remember now, Mr. Howard, Mrs. Howard was so sweet. I mean, just like my mama had a pantry full of (laughs) uh, hostess ding dongs and cupcakes and Twinkies and you name it, all the healthy food, right? For uh, when the Howards came over, which was almost every day, well, Mrs. Howard had her own pantry full of stuff for when the Johnsons invaded uh, and raided the refrigerator and the pantry over there. But the one thing, Mr. Howard was a little bit tougher and rougher, a little bit tougher and rougher. And as much as we were welcomed over there, don't eat from the grapevines. That's what we were told. So don't eat, right? (laughs) 
I don't remember. Um, I remember it was late in the afternoon, evening. It was summer, uh, late summer. Grapes were in full produce. And I remember not swinging over the fence the normal way, but sneaking over the fence behind their garage. So our fence ran alongside their garage and that's where their grape trellises were and grape vines. And so I remember literally slow motion. I can still vividly remember, guys, putting my foot in each of the open wire places right next to the posts, grabbing hold of the post. I was maybe maybe 10, 11 years old, no more than 11. And I remember literally every step, every step I would, it was probably later into the afternoon, evening, probably 7.30-ish, maybe even 8. I know it was getting kind of just dusk, you know, summer, late summer. No one's around. My brothers and sister were uh, inside doing something or maybe in the front yard. I didn't see any of the Howards. So this was the moment. So step by step, stealthily, sneakily, I made my way over the fence. And I remember, I still remember as I landed on the other side of the fence, I, I stood there just waiting. I mean, waiting, looking around, silent, just making sure that what I was about to do was not going to get noticed or caught. So I walked into the, in between the trellises and I went to town. (laughs) I went to town on those grapes. I mean, the first one, I still remember Gosh, it was like forbidden fruit for sure. But it was the sweetest, best tasting forbidden fruit I'd ever had in my life. And one after another, after another, after another, I cannot even begin to tell you. I don't know how long I was there. I really don't. Uh, I know that I was there long enough where I had lost um, this focus of making sure that no one was watching me because all of a sudden this looming figure of Mr. Howard was looking at me, peering down on me from the other side of the trellis. And I literally had a mouthful of grapes and I wanted to run, right? And yet I think I did. I think I actually made some steps toward the fence as if maybe I could escape somehow, um, him, his, his, and he was angry and oh my gosh, uh, took me to the house. Uh, dad and mom, Mr. Howard and Mr. Johnson had a conversation about my, um, sneaky methods of stealing from his grape arbor. And uh, I still remember, oh my goodness, how mad my daddy was and, Um, I think I was banned from the Howards for, I don't know, the rest of the summer, maybe. I coveted those grapes. And that brings us to this passage in in Romans that we're going to look at here. Um, So this Romans, this next part of Romans in Romans 7, it talks about the law and it talks about how 
um, the law is not sin. The law is not bad. But the law does teach us what bad is. The law does indeed teach us that what coveting is. So here we are in in Romans 7, starting at verse 7. Well then, he says, Paul says, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting, there it is, coveting is wrong if the law had not said, said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse, say arouse, all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. So, so here I am. I knew, I knew better. I knew that the grape arbor, the, the grape trellises, I knew that that part of Mr. I had, you understand, right? I had free access to Mr. and Mrs. Howard's house, garage, yard. We were inseparable for years. We really were, uh, the, the four of them, the three of us, and we were, we were playmates and, 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 and we had all kinds of fun. We were, did good deeds in the neighborhood. We just, we ran around together. We, like I said, in a good way, we ruled the neighborhood for years as neighborhood kids. I had free access. I had free reign with the Howards, except one area. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound, I don't know, like a garden in Genesis 3 and Genesis 2 where God tells Adam, hey, you have every, you have access, access. Can somebody say access? Full access and a backstage pass to anything you need, but one tree. And I had access, friends, I had access to, to anything and everything of the Howards because we were friends and we'd hung out all summer long and we grew up together. And, but I, I really did ruin it because I jumped over the fence and snuck into the grape, uh, grape arbor and, and, and just made a fool of myself with the grapes. It felt like I was there an hour. I probably wasn't there more than 10, 15 minutes. But I know, I do remember later that night, my stomach was hurting because I had eaten so many grapes. But it was that coveting, this, this passage of scripture that says, but sin, verse eight, but sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. So right next to the grape arbor on our side was a really big maple tree, huge maple tree. And that's where I learned to box. My daddy put together a, a, a filled a burlap bag, a sack with all kinds of old rags and hung it from one of those big limbs. And so I would learn actually how to box and, uh, and just mess around right there at that tree. But guess where I looked? Literally, the grass or grapes or grainer or graper on the other side of the fence. I always, for months and probably years, I looked at those grapevines and I, all, I, I literally coveted those grapes until one night at seven or eight o'clock in the evening, that covetous desire within me aroused, it was so aroused that it was now sin. I had broken uh, uh, the, the command of not going across and taking grapes. I broke trust. And, and I think that's what, that's what Paul is trying to say here because he goes on in verse nine. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. 
But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. Verse, verse 10, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. So again, he has to, you have to go back to verse seven. We understand that the law was not bad. The law of God is not sinful. Of course not. But the law helped us understand and helps us understand what is sinful. And because of the law, now with that understanding of what is sinful, so once again, go back to the garden, okay? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. When God says, you can eat of any tree of the garden except one, what stood out to at least Eve and Adam? Because Adam was there too. What stood out? The except one. So now, how long? We don't know how long. A lot of times we read scripture so quickly that we forget that there was probably some time has passed. So we don't know how long uh, that Adam and Eve had, were were in the garden without sin. We, We think it was of some kind of time. We don't think it was just a few days. But whatever the case, there was a tree that they were not allowed to eat from right? The, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. And so as they were asked not to eat from that tree, what tree did the enemy use to arouse their desire? The one command that told them not to eat from it. So that's, I think that's how what Paul is saying here. I think he, he doesn't mention Genesis, uh, but I think he goes all the way back to Genesis here. Verse 11, it says, took, sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. I gotta believe Paul's thinking about the garden. Come on, Eve, Adam deceived. It used the commands oh, to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. The law is not bad. The the law of God, the commands of God are not bad. But only by knowing the commands do we know what is right and what is wrong. And Satan is the deceptive one, isn't he? Satan is the one who comes and uses the very law that is supposed to keep the margins in place, the, the guardrails in place, the fences in place, if you will, the very fence that I climbed over, to put those in place and say, that is wrong. And what does Satan do? Uses the very laws that God says, this is for your benefit, Satan uses for our destruction. And we have to be understanding of that. We have to understand there's a lot of talk at times about how bad or good the law is or was and um, should we, what part of the law, law can, should we obey and, and all of that. There's so much debate as a pastor. I've, I've had too many debates about what parts of the law uh, but here's the thing. Paul is going somewhere here. I've said before, this is why we're doing the podcast with the person and the power with Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. If there were three, if there were two pages of scripture, two pages of scripture, I'm looking at my Bible right here and, and literally on one page, six and seven, and another page, seven and part of eight. And so if, and, and so if you tear both pages, I've got all of six, all of seven, and all of eight. If I were exiled or if I were in prison, I would want Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8 because it's heading somewhere, guys. Sin is dead. Power of sin 
dead. Romans 6. Now Romans 7, the law, not bad. In fact, he says in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 12, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But Satan uses it to arouse covetous desires, which lead us to sin because now we have this right and wrong in front of us and doggone it, if we don't lean toward the wrong, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we lean to the right. And I'm not talking in any political mean at all. I'm talking about what is right, what is good, and what is holy. Only by the Spirit of God can we lean to what is right. And that is where Paul is leading us here in the next few uh, verses and in the next chapter. All right. God bless you. Enjoy those grapes. Just make sure they're yours, okay? <laughs> we love you. Be blessed. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.